Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for those of you who took that survey. We really appreciate that. I cannot express to you uh, how thankful we are for you doing that. I know it might be a little strange, but that's going to help us in more ways than you know. So thank you for taking a moment to do that. But like Tommy said just a moment ago, uh, man, if you're a guest with us here today, we want to thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for being our guest. My name is Tony. I'm uh, the campus pastor here at Grace. If we've never uh, had a chance to meet before, I would love to get a chance to do that. So please stop me afterwards in the cafe. But if you're a guest, man, you came on an awesome weekend. And uh, the reason is because today uh, we are starting this brand new series that we're calling Patterns That Change Us. And uh, we oftentimes say that one of the greatest places and greatest times to get connected to grace is at the beginning of a series. You're kind of joining us at the beginning of a conversation. And so we'd really encourage you uh, to maybe consider locking in for the duration of the series. If you're investigating grace, that would give you uh, really a great opportunity to get to know us as a church. Then like Steve said, it would also give us an opportunity, hopefully, to get to know you a little bit because we, we would love to do that. But in the series, Patterns That Change Us, that we're starting here today, the topic matter um, that we're going to be thinking through and discussing for the next several weeks is we're actually going to be talking about change. We're going to be talking about change. And um, how do people change? Can people change? And if so, how does real change actually occur? So we're going to be thinking about it a little bit together. And I think this topic is really important. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the big kind of a, a common popular phrase that you hear people say, uh, and probably that you're familiar with, is this phrase right here. Uh, Some people never change. Uh, this is a very popular phrase. My guess is that you have probably heard uh, people say this phrase about other people. My guess is you have probably said or have thought this phrase about other people. In fact, just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have found yourself saying this or thinking this about somebody in your life where you said, yeah, man, some people, right? I think all of us, that even when I put this up here, there's probably certain people that come to your mind. Maybe you think of family members or you think of friends that it's almost, it's almost comical how predictable they can be. And I know that's true for some of you, because I see some of you smirking, I see some of you nudging the person next to you, which, by the way, that's not very nice to do. But, um, but it's true. Like, I think for some of us, we, we know people where we look and we say, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's no matter how many times they say they're going to change, no matter how many promises they make, it just keeps going back to the same thing over and over again. So this is a phrase that we have heard said, we say about other people, quite honestly. This is a phrase, let's just be real honest, that probably people have said about you. And uh, maybe uh, to your face, maybe not to your face, but it's a common phrase that we hear people say. Some people never change. What I found interesting about this phrase is did you notice that this phrase is never said in an endearing way? Like it's never a compliment, right? It's always said, it always comes from a place of usually frustration or disappointment or from a place of cynicism with like a rolling of the eyes. Well, we all know some people never change. We kind of think about those things. But here, here's the interesting thing is the reason that I think this is such a popular saying and such a popular phrase is because it's true. It's just true. I think that when we think about the people kind of in our sphere of life, like our family members and friends and coworkers and the people that we interact with in life, it's kind of true, isn't it? That for the most part, people pretty much are the same. And a lot of times, the same behaviors and the same emotional patterns and the same ways that we interact with it, it seems like this is kind of our defaulting towards the same things over and over again. I think it, it causes us to ask this question, is real change like actually possible? Like for real, like is it possible for people to change? Because here, here's what I believe, and, and this might be right, this might be wrong, but my guess is that the vast majority of us in this room, maybe not everybody, but my guess is that the vast majority of us in this room, that if I really pressed you on it, that we would all agree that we actually all ache for change. 
that there is something in us that aches for change. And I don't, I don't just mean for like other people, which of course that's true. I think we ache to see change in people we love. I think we, we do. But I think if we're really honest, and if I pressed you on this, my guess is you would agree, that I think we all ache for change in ourselves. We ache to change ourselves, right? If you're, if you're anything like me, when I think about certain aspects in my life, when I think about certain patterns that I see in my life, I really want them to change. I wanna change. There's parts of me that I look at and I'm like, man, I really wanna change that. It's a pattern, it's an aspect of my life. In fact, my guess is that maybe for some of you who are in this room, the reason that you find yourself in church today is because you're looking to make a change. Maybe that's why you showed up. Maybe that's why you're back from Easter if you were here for Easter last week is because the circumstances of your life, the situations that you find yourself in are one where you ache to change. And so maybe you came to church because you're trying to look to make a change and you're saying, man, I'm gonna invest Jesus. I'm gonna investigate the church. I'm gonna try to figure it out because I'm hoping that maybe there's something to this and that maybe I can change a certain pattern in my life. And so maybe for some of you, you're looking. There's patterns in your life that you ache for change. So for example, just to give you a few examples, maybe you can relate to some of these. Maybe for some of you right now, there's emotional patterns that you see in your life that you genuinely ache to change. Maybe for you, you know this about yourself. You know that there's certain unhealthy emotional patterns that you have. You know that there's certain emotional patterns that can sometimes be debilitating to you. Maybe for some of you, you know that there's times where the emotions get the best of you and that you are sometimes run by your emotions and you know that about yourself. You understand that about yourself and you actually ache for change, but sometimes you wonder, is real change actually possible or am I just kind of destined to sort of live in this reality? as I know it. Maybe for some of you, it's patterns of attitude that maybe that if, I, if you thought about it, you sort of ache for change that you know that there's certain default attitudes that you keep going back to. And you know that those attitudes are toxic or they could be harmful, that maybe those attitudes are actually hindering you from experiencing and enjoying life to the fullest. Maybe for you, it's attitudes that are keeping you from being thankful or attitudes that are putting wedges uh, between relationships. And, and you know that, you know that, you know that about yourself and you actually wish you could change it, but you wonder sometimes, like, is real change actually possible? Maybe for you, it's patterns of addiction, right? Maybe that's what it is. And maybe there's addictive tendencies in your life and maybe uh, substance abuse or alcohol abuse or uh, maybe eating disorders or pornography usage. And these are, these are patterns that keep emerging in your life. And you know that about yourself and you actually are kind of ashamed about it in yourself, but you, you honestly wonder if you could actually change. You've tried before, like you've tried. And there's been seasons where you've went long spell and you tried your best to get rid of it, but it just keeps coming back and it keeps coming back stronger. And you wonder, you're like, is real change actually possible. Maybe for you, it's relationship patterns. Maybe for you, when you look at the trend of your friendships or the trend of your romantic relationships, you realize that there is kind of a pattern and that it seems like it always ends the same. It seems like you kind of fall into the same types of relationship patterns that it ends, you know, maybe in a destructive way, or maybe it ends by just kind of, you know, suddenly kind of dissolving or whatever it might be. And you're starting to realize that maybe the common denominator in those relationship meltdowns is you. And you know that about yourself. There's something that kind of suspects that, but you're like, but I don't know how to do anything differently. And we wonder if real change is possible. Maybe for you, it's patterns of behavior. There's certain patterns of behavior, how you respond to certain things. Maybe it's financial patterns, spending patterns. I could just go on. I could give, we could make a, a longer list than this. But like I said, my guess is that if I pushed any single one of you, if we really drilled into it, my guess is that many of us ache for change. But we wonder, is it really possible 
You see, the issue for us, for many of us, maybe some of us, is not that we don't want to change. Some of you don't want to change. That's a totally different story. I think the issue is not that some of us don't want to change. I think it's we don't know how to. We don't know how to. And we feel stuck in these patterns that make us wonder if real change is actually possible. And so let me just say that if you can relate to that on any level, if you find yourself aching for change in certain parts of your life, but you're wondering, is it actually possible? So I'm gonna tell you, I think it came at an awesome time because that is exactly what we're gonna be talking about in this series. That is the topic that we're going to be exploring throughout the next several weeks. Now, I just wanna tell you from the very beginning, before we jump into the series, I think it's important that I mention, uh, as many of you know, there is a lot of resources out there on this topic. So there are articles and there are books that are written and there's a lot of conversation and dialogue around the topic of how we change. But for our sake in this series, we're going to be approaching this topic by looking at what Jesus teaches about change. What does Jesus and what does the Bible teach about change? Now that of course probably comes as no surprise to any of you because you're in a church and you would probably expect that that would be the way that we focus on a topic like this. But the reason that I tell you that is because if you're a person that's in this room and you're exploring Christianity or you're kind of investigating Jesus, I don't want you to think that because we're looking at what Jesus teaches about change that this series is not for you. In fact, I wanna encourage you not to tune me out if you're a person that doesn't follow Jesus, but I wanna encourage you to hear me out. And here, here's why I think, so two reasons. Number one, first and foremost, I believe that what Jesus teaches about change, whether you follow him or not, I think it's really insightful and really helpful. And so I think whether or not you actually follow Christ, I think it's actually gonna be pretty helpful to you. And secondly, and probably more importantly is this, if you're a person who is investigating Jesus, I actually believe that this series is gonna be so helpful in hopefully decluttering and clarifying what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And I think especially today, it's gonna to kind of help with that. So how do we change? How does it happen? Patterns that change us? What does Jesus teach on the topic? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start by going to, which I think is the best starting place ever, as Jesus teaches on change, is John 15. So if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it with me. We're going to go to John 15. So whenever you're talking about what does Jesus teach about change, you got to go to John 15, right? you got to go to John 15. Some of you are like, that's what I was thinking. you got to go to John 15. Some of you are like, I don't even know what John 15 says, man. Well, let me show you what John 15 says, all right? So get a Bible, grab it. We're going to go there together. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, you can feel free to make use of the Bibles under the chairs, page 752 in those black Bibles that are uh, provided for you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take one. You can, you can have one. We would love for you to have a Bible. So uh, uh, John 15. Now, as you're locating John 15, I'll just give you a small amount of context uh, into the words we're about to read. So in John 15, what we're gonna see is we're actually going to see a dialogue, uh, a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples the night before he is crucified. So John 15 actually records for us a very intimate conversation that Jesus would have had. These would have been parting words that he would have uh, given to his disciples. Now, I think the reason that's important is obviously we think here that all of Jesus's words are important. We think all of Jesus's words carry a lot of weight, but I think there's a special emphasis on parting words, right? These are kind of last words between Jesus and his disciples before he goes to the cross. And so let's see what he says. So we're gonna start off in verse one. We're gonna read down to verse 11. I'm gonna read the whole thing and then we're gonna circle back and we'll, we'll make some observations. Okay, so here we go. Starting off, John 15, verse one. Here is what Jesus says to his disciples the night before his death. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And so if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I also have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, then you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this is our passage here this morning. And I gotta tell you, this is honestly one of the most important and one of the most clarifying and I think one of the most beautiful things uh, that Jesus has ever said to help us understand uh, what it looks like to be in a relationship with Christ. It's interesting if you notice, I want you to notice where Jesus begins this conversation with his disciples. He starts off by, by making a pretty profound declaration about himself. This is what he says in verse one. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So Jesus begins with this statement. He says, I am the true vine. That might sound like a weird thing to say. That sounds like a weird thing to say. But what you might not know is this, is that the gospel of John which is what we're reading right now. The Gospel of John is actually a book that is organized around what is sometimes called the I am statements of Jesus. So all throughout the Gospel of John, you're gonna see Jesus making these declarations about who he is. And so for example, in John, you're gonna see statements where Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. He's gonna say things like, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And here he says, I am the true vine. So the whole Gospel of John is organized around these statements. And the reason that Jesus is making these I am statements is, well, first off, to help us understand something about who he is. But secondly, and like consequentially, the other thing that he's doing is he's trying to help us understand not just who he is, but also who we are, how we are to interact in our relationship with him. And so when Jesus declares, I am the true vine, what he's also implying is not just something about himself, but also something about us. And what is that? Well, notice in verse five, he says it. He says, I am the vine. And because I'm the vine, what does that mean about us? Well, that means that you're the branches. He says, you're the branches. In other words, Jesus says, if you wanna understand what our relationship dynamic is like, if you wanna understand what our interaction and exchange needs to be like with each other, he says, here's the metaphor you need to get in your mind. I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, uh, most commentators would agree that what Jesus has in mind here, the picture that he has in mind, is probably that of a grapevine, right? That's probably what he's thinking about. So a grapevine would have been a very common and familiar kind of metaphor to a first century Jewish person. They would have seen this on a daily basis. And so Jesus says, real, sim real simple, real simple. He says, here's how I want you to think about our interaction. He says, this is me, okay, I'm the vine. I am the vine. He says, and because I'm the vine, that means that you're this part right here. You are the branch, which by the way, in the Greek language, the word branch is also translated vine sprout, which is maybe a little more helpful when you think about a grapevine. So he says, he says, I am the vine, this is me. You are the vine sprout. And then he says, and when you, when you are connected to me, when you are remaining in me, when you are abiding in me, when you are attached to me, 
He says the result is there are going to be certain results that are produced in your life. That is going to bear fruit, is what Jesus says. It's going to produce certain outcomes in you when you are connected to me. In fact, I think, again, as simple as this metaphor, it's so simple, it's so simple because, I mean, even a, even a child can understand the simplicity of this metaphor. But I think what Jesus is saying is so powerful because, listen, a, a branch, right, like a vine sprout, the primary concern of the vine sprout is not to produce fruit, it's to remain connected to the vine. In fact, I just want you to notice something. If you glance down at your Bible, if you got John 15 open, if you're a person that takes notes, and so if you're like a person that highlights or underlines or circles things, I want you from verse one to verse 11, I want you just to circle or underline or highlight uh, the amount of times that Jesus says remain. So if you take notes, just do that. If you don't have a highlighter, just prick your finger and use your blood or something and do that. But just go down. And count it from verse 1 to 11 in the passage we just read. How many times does Jesus say the word remain, or if you have a different translation, abide? And if you go down and you do that, if you circle in your underline, you're going to find out that this is the key to the whole passage. Because that little term shows up 11 times. 11 times. Jesus says, remain, 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 remain. I am the vine, you are the branches. So what is the primary role of the branch? Abide, 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 abide. Remain, 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 remain. Connect, 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 connect. Stay connected, stay plugged in, stay, stay attached to. It's the primary focus. Now again, again, it's such a simple metaphor, but if you think about, if you just think about the implications of what Jesus is saying, what he's saying is actually very provocative and what he's saying is actually really scandalous. Because think about it. Here's what Jesus is declaring about himself. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. And by saying that, he's saying, listen, I am, I am not just a good teacher. I am not just a religious guru. I am not just an example for you to follow. Jesus says, no, I'm the vine. What does that mean? He's saying, listen, this is just, this is scandalous. Jesus is saying, I am the source of life and vitality and power and change and sustenance that you were created for. That's found in, those things are not found within yourself. Those things are found in me. And what's more than that is that Jesus doesn't just say that he is a vine. I want you to notice what he actually says. He says, I'm not just a vine. He says, I am the true vine. Well, that's a profound statement. See, I think what Jesus is doing here, by the way, is he's also, he's also admitting at the very same time that there are other false vines that are out there. In other words, I think this is really insightful. I think what Jesus is saying about humanity is that every single one of us is designed in such a way that we naturally are like branches. And so we are all trying to attach and plug ourselves in to something that we think is going to give us joy and life and fulfillment and meaning that we're all looking to attach ourselves to something, some teaching, some person, some vision of life that we think is ultimately gonna bring joy and fulfillment and it's going to bring us to a place of happiness in this life. All of us are designed to do that. And what Jesus says is the joy that you're pursuing, right? The fulfillment that you're pursuing, all of those things that you're actually going after in life, he says it's only found in one place. It's me because I am the true vine. And what's so amazing is that Jesus is gonna go on to say that what you are connected to as a branch, what you are connected to is going to determine the kind of fruit that you bear. That what you're connected to, that what you attach yourself to 
is going to produce certain results in your life. So notice what Jesus says, look at verse five. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about there when he says you will bear much fruit? Well, I think what Jesus is talking about when he talks about fruit is he's talking about these outcomes in our life. He's talking about the outward emotions, behaviors, attitudes, and actions of our life. That's what he's talking about. It's, that, it's the fruit that comes out of us. And what Jesus is saying is that the only way, the only way that you are going to produce the fruit that God desires in your life is by staying connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you hear that and you say, well, what is, what is the fruit what is the fruit that God desires in my life? Can you help me out with that? Like you're saying that Jesus desires certain fruit in my life. Like what is that? Well, actually I can help you. Let me, let me see if I can help clarify this because the word fruit is actually used several times in the New Testament. So I'll just give you a couple different examples of what I think Jesus means when he says that he wants all of us to bear fruit. So what is that? Well, let me just give you a few examples. These come from a few different passages. Uh, one of the passages that talks about fruit, the fruit that God desires in our life is in Galatians chapter five. And in Galatians chapter five, it talks about the character of Jesus. Some of you, if you're Bible people, and I say, uh, God wants to produce fruit in your life, the first passage that comes to your mind is the fruit of the Spirit. That's Galatians 5. And what does Galatians 5 say? Well, Galatians 5 says that when a person is abiding in Jesus, that means that his Spirit is within them, and it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you are like, how did you recite that so quickly? I'll tell you why. I have, I have my kids, they have a song that they play by a guy named Uncle Charlie. And Uncle Charlie, the, the song goes, the fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. If you wanna be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Any, anyway, you get it, right? So, but that, that's why. But what is the fruit of the spirit? I'll tell you what the fruit of the spirit is. It's not an exhaustive list but it's the character traits of Jesus. Love and joy and peace and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self. That's fruit, that's fruit. So he says, uh, the fruit in the Bible is also the generosity of Jesus. There's a place in Romans where the apostle Paul is speaking about a church and he talks about how that church just went above and beyond in, in their acts of generosity. And he calls that fruit. He says, I see Jesus working in you and it's producing the fruit of generosity. Um, and another passage in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul calls uh, the mission of Jesus or the ministry of Jesus fruit. So the apostle Paul looks at the Roman church and he says, I wish I could be with you because I, I, would, I want to obtain some fruit from among you. What's he talking about? He's talking about, I wanna help. I wanna, I wanna help be a conduit, an agent of God's love and support in your life. I wanna be used by God to do those things. And so what does it mean that God wants you to bear fruit? Well, simply put, simply put, I think here's a good, good way to put it. Fruit is the life of Jesus lived in and through you. That's what it is. That is God's plan for you. He wants the life of his son, Jesus Christ, to be lived in you and through you. We say this sometimes at Grace Church. God does not simply want to do things for you. He also wants to do some stuff in you so he can work through you. And you're like, well, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Fruit, fruit. 
the character of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus, the, the, the forgiveness of Jesus. He wants to accomplish those things in and through you. That's what the Bible says. And can I just tell you something that I believe with all my heart? I believe that, that whether you believe me or not, whether you know it or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the type of fruit that Jesus is talking about in this passage, the type of fruit that is on, kind of on, that, that Jesus says, this is, this is the kind of thing that, that can actually happen in your life. I believe that this is the kind of change that all of us truly desire. I believe this is the kind of change that all of us ache for. And some of you are like, I don't know if I believe you in that. All right, well, let me just ask you a question just to prove my point. A year from now, would you rather be more joyful or less joyful? Let's ask it that way. How many of you, if I gave you that option, how many are going more joyful? Just show a hand. Somebody say more joyful. Okay. And I'm not going to ask about less joyful because if you raise your hand, it's just because you're, li- you're a liar and you're trying to throw me off. But that's it's just true, right? <laughs> it's, it's true. If I asked you, how many in the room, uh, 10 years from now, would you rather be more content or less content as a human being? I think we're saying, man, I'd rather be more content. If I said a year from now, would you rather be more or less emotionally healthy? I think we're all saying, man, I wanna be, I wanna be more loving. I wanna be more patient. I wanna be more joyful. I wanna be more emotionally healthy. I wanna be more content. I wanna be more generous. I wanna be more useful in the lives of other people. I wanna actually be a conduit into the lives of others to, to help them and to be an agent of love and grace in people's life. I think for many of us, we ache for that. I wanna be more forgiving. I wanna be less bitter. And I think that this is the kind of change that Jesus is, is calling us into, that he says is available to us. It's the kind of fruit that he desires. But here's the big mistake. Here's the big mistake that we oftentimes make is we know that we wanna change those things about ourselves. We know we wanna be more loving. We know we wanna be more forgiving. We know we wanna be more content. But a lot of times the way we go about trying to make those changes is we start to try to modify the fruit. We try to change the fruit. We try to cut off the fruit and replace it with something different. I need to be more loving, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna try to stop being less loving and I'm just gonna try to be more loving. And we try to just produce fruit. But I think if anything that Jesus is telling us here is he's saying, I think you're going about it the wrong way. That it actually doesn't start with the fruit, it ends with the fruit. You know, it's interesting, I love the metaphor of fruit. You know, did you ever think about fruit? Fruit's pretty amazing, isn't it? I know that sounds like a really hippie thing to say today. <laughs> But it is, I mean, fruit's pretty amazing. Like if you actually stop and think about it, right? It's like one day it's not there. And then all of a sudden when it's ready, it just shows up. It's like grapes. And you're like, what the heck? That's awesome. And then if you cut it off, it's like, no problem. It comes back again. It just like more grapes. And you're like, what the heck? This is awesome. And then if you prune it, you get bigger grapes. They come back stronger. And then a year later, it's like, you know, goes to the season and then it comes back again and it just keeps happening. And I think this is part of Jesus's point. I think Jesus's point is this. Fruit is not an achievement. It's a result. It's a result. Fruit is going to show up and depending on what you're connected to is gonna determine the kind of fruit that you bear. I like the way one commentator put it. He said it this way. I thought this was really, really insightful. He said, I never heard an apple tree grunt. Isn't that good? Do you ever walk past an apple tree and hear it go, apples? Like, did you ever hear that before? <laughs> Me neither, right? I've never heard that. Why? It's just, it's just, it's just gonna, I put it, this is the way that I put it. This, this is me. I put it this way. I said, fruit happens. 
It just happens. Fruit just happens. I want to get a bumper sticker. Fruit happens. It just shows up. It just shows up. You don't even have to try. It's not an achievement. It's a result. And what Jesus is trying to say is that if you want to change the fruit, you got to change the vine. You got to change the vine. It's not about cutting the fruit off and trying to replace it with something different. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about fruit management. He says it's actually about what you're connected to and what you're abiding in is going to result in the fruit that you bear. Now, this is why I think this is so significant. If you're a person that's investigating Jesus, I want you to understand this because I believe that this helps clarify and declutter so much about what it really means to follow Jesus. Let me just tell you the difference between Jesus and religion. Here's the difference. Religion is about fruit management. That is what religion is. Religion is behavior modification. Religion is cutting apples off of an apple tree and then taping oranges on it instead and calling it an orange tree. That is religion. And all of us know that works for a minute and it looks good on the outside, but what happens is the fruit that you tape on is gonna die and decay and the old stuff is gonna grow back again. And why is that? You're dealing with it the wrong way. It's not fruit, man, that's religion. That's religion. And, and religion is full of behavior modification and it's ridden with guilt because we can't seem to change the things in our life that we wanna change. Christianity is not about the fruit. Christianity is about the vine. It's about the source. It's about connecting yourself to something different. It's about Jesus. Listen, the best part about Christianity is Jesus. It's the best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. And as you plug into him, it's gonna produce and bear fruit in your life. So listen, for some of you, this is so important for you to hear. This is so important for, because for some of you, you're just exhausted, man. You're exhausted because you, you, you're trying to change and you're trying to change and it just seems like all of your attempts, you keep coming back and reverting back to the same things over and over again. And you've tried religion and all you feel is guilt because you can't seem to change. And all you feel like you gotta do is you feel like you need to keep hiding because there's not real transformation happening in your life. And I'm just telling you, you're exhausted. But listen, could it be, could it be that maybe the reason that that's occurring is because you're actually focusing on the wrong end of the branch? It's not about focusing on the fruit, it's about focusing on the vine. So that leads me to this question that I wanna ask you, just for, you, for each one of us to consider, just in the privacy of your own heart. I want you to consider this question. What kind of branch are you? This morning, as you're standing, what kind of branch are you? And if you're like, I don't even know where to start answering that question, well, let me see if I can ask some follow-up questions that might be more illuminating and helpful. What are you connected to? What are you connected to? What vision of life, what, what are you looking towards that you believe is going to bring joy and fulfillment and sustenance to your life? What is it that you believe is ultimately gonna bring those things to you? What are you connected to? Another follow-up question, whose voice do you allow to speak the most in your life? Whose voice carries the most weight to you? Whose voice bears the most weight in the decision-making processes that you make? Whose is the first voice, the first words that you listen to when you wake up in the morning and the last words that you listen to before you go to bed? Are they your own words? Are they the words of the media? Are they the words of maybe a family member? Because listen, here's what Jesus says in John 15, the passage we just read. You know what he said? He said, I want you to remain in me. And he says, if you remain in me, part of that means that my word remains in you. What does that mean? Jesus says, I want my word, my word to be the word that you listen to the most. I want my word to speak most loudly 
and speak most authoritatively in your life. How about this one? Whose opinion carries the most weight in your life? Whose opinion carries the most weight that you care the most about? Is it your own opinion? Is it the opinion of a family member? Is it the opinion of your colleagues? In other words, who is the audience that you are performing for? Who is it that you're thinking about trying to impress? What's going through your mind that way? Listen, I think the reason this is such an important question is because do you know what Jesus says in John 15? He says, to abide in me means that you need to remain in my love, remain in my love. I think that's so insightful because Jesus is saying, I want you to define yourself not by how you feel and not what other people think about you and not even what you think about yourself. I want you to define yourself by my love for you. What I say about you is true. That's how I want you to define yourself. See, sometimes what can happen is we can fall into this pattern where we tend to define ourselves by how we feel. I feel acceptable by God today. And so we think we're acceptable to God. Then the next day, I don't feel acceptable to God today. So we don't think we're acceptable to God. And God says, I don't want you to define yourself that way. I want you to define yourself by what I say about you. And I love you and you remain in my love is what he says. How about this last one? Where do you plug your mind and your heart into most often? Here's another way to put it. Where do you dwell? Where does your mind and your heart dwell? What do you dwell on? What do you think about? What is your mental life, your, your heart? Where do those things go? Where do you go to be refreshed? These are all important questions. And what I'm trying to get at is this, is I think this reveals a lot of what you're connected to. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, I think you owe it to yourself to ask the question, where am I connected? Where am I abiding? Where am I dwelling? But what Jesus says is he says that what you're most connected to is gonna determine the kind of fruit that you bear. It's gonna determine the fruit that you bear. And what I love about this, this whole conversation is that Jesus says to those of us who follow him, this is my ultimate goal for you. This is my ultimate goal for you. In fact, notice what he says here. He says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus says, this, this is what it's all about. My biggest desire for you is that you would abide in me and that that would produce fruit in you that would, that would result in God's glory and in your joy. He says, I want joy. God is after your joy. He wants that. And so this is the whole thing. Now, let me just say, I feel like for me, this is so clarifying and this is so freeing because it declutters so much of what it means to follow Jesus and it reduces it to one simple thing. And here it is. For those of us who follow Christ, for those of us who follow Christ, the one thing that we need to be concerned with is not the fruit, it's not all of those things. The one thing we need to be concerned with is the vine, is are we abiding, are we connected to Jesus. It's so clarifying to me. So let me just say something real quick. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to look up here for a second. I just want to talk to you if you're a follower of Jesus. Because we believe this, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Listen to me, this is so important. The most important pursuit of your life is to remain and abide in Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing is that you are in an abiding, vibrant relationship with Christ. Because if you have that, then the fruit that God desires in your life is going to happen. Let me just say, if you're a follower of Christ, the best thing, 
that you can bring to your marriage, the best thing that you can bring to your parenting, the best thing that you can bring to our church, to our society, to your school, to your workplace, to our world, the best thing we can bring to each other is a vibrant, abiding relationship with Jesus. Look up here for a minute. If you are married, I'm just telling you, the best thing that you can give to your spouse, the best thing, is not a really healthy nest egg and more square footage at your house and really nice vacations. That's fine. It's fine. Enjoy those things. They're wonderful, but not at the expense of this one thing. The best thing that you can give to your spouse is a version of yourself that is abiding and remaining in Jesus Christ because that is going to produce the fruit that God desires. Listen, if you are a parent, I cannot stress this enough. You know what the most important thing you can give your children is? It's not the highest education that money can buy. It's not every experience under the sun so they become well-developed people. Those are fine and good things. The best thing you can give them, though, is an abiding, a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. To, to display that for them and for them to see that in you because it's gonna bear fruit that God desires. Church, the best thing we can give to each other, my goodness, is an abiding relationship with Jesus. If you're a student in this room, the best thing you can give to your parents is not doing the chores. It's a close second, okay, so do that. But the first thing is an abiding relationship with Christ. The best thing you can give to your life group, the best thing we can give to our world is that. I just tell you, as the campus pastor of the Medina East Campus and as all of our staff, do you know what the best thing we can give you is? It's not greater gifts and greater organization and greater abilities to do those things. Those are fine and those are good. The best thing I can give you is an abiding version of myself where I am connected to Christ. Because I'll just be honest with you, if I'm not connected to Jesus, I can, I can try my best to produce the best results that I can and preach the best sermons I ever have and those type of things, but it's not gonna come from a healthy place. It's gonna come from a place of pride and insecurity and all kinds of weird stuff. It's gonna bear strange fruit. The best thing we can give each other is that. So let me just say this. I think that what this world needs is not more religious people. I think what this world needs is it needs more people who are connected and abiding to Jesus. That's what's gonna change us. That's what's gonna change the world. Now, some of you hear that and you say, okay, man, I hear you. I hear you. And I hear you saying it. That's the most important thing is I need to abide and to abide and to abide. But here's the question that I'm asking myself right now. And it's this, how, like, how am I actually supposed to do that? Which by the way, it's a great question. Thanks for asking it in giant <laughs> white letters on my screen, right? How? But I think, I think some of you are saying, I hear you and I want to, but I don't know how, I don't know how, how do you do that? Tell me how to abide. And I will. And I just wanna tell you that I think um, that this is what this whole series is about. The way I've been explaining the series is the previous series we were in, Jesus Come and See, was all about the who, who is Jesus. This series is all about the how. How do you follow him? Like practically, realistically in your life, how do you do that? And I just wanna tell you the next several weeks are actually based off of a really important verse. And uh, right here in 1 John, just wanna, you don't have to turn there, I'll just show this to you. But in 1 John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John says something really profound. Here's what he says. He says, this is how we know that we are in Christ. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I put it in another translation because I think this is very illuminating. He says, by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. So here's what John says. He said, the same John who wrote John 15, he says, do you wanna know if you're abiding in Christ? Do you wanna know how to remain in him? He says, here's how you do it. You need to live and you need to walk in the same way that Jesus lived and walked. So if you're like, what does that mean? 
I think this is so cool. When you look at these terms in the Greek language, what they literally mean is they mean to live, to walk. They mean to walk the same path. Here's what it means. You ready? It means to pattern your life after Jesus. And so here's what John says. He says, do you want to abide in Christ? He says, look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look at the pattern of the way he lived. And the pattern of the way he lived shows us because Jesus lived in an abiding relationship with the Father, he demonstrated for us what it looks like to live in an abiding relationship with him. And so you can learn to abide by looking at the life of Christ. I love the way Dallas Willard put it. Dallas Willard wrote this great book called The Spirit of Disciplines. And this, by the way, is a phenomenal book. I would highly recommend it. We'll probably quote this book several times in the series. But here's what he said. He said, we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life that he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. He says, we can, through faith and by grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities that he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities that he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship with his Father. So here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus did not simply come to give his life for us. We believe that Jesus came to show us also how to live. That he displayed a pattern of living of what it looks like to be in an abiding relationship and that he gave that as a demonstration for us to follow as well. So I know that probably brings up a lot of questions about what does that mean and what does that look like, but that's what we're gonna be talking about in this series. How do we pattern our life after Christ and how do we live in an abiding relationship with Jesus? And so let me just tell you a couple things in closing. Here's the thing. Some of you are asking, what can I expect in this series? So let me just give you a couple things. Here's what you can expect. Number one, you can expect that this series is going to be very practical, very practical. As practical as we know how to get. And so if you're like, I wanna know how to abide in Christ, what does that look like in real time, in real space, on my calendar, that's what we're gonna talk about. As practical as we know how to get. And I know that, uh, I think that's so important, by the way, because I know that spirituality in our society, when we talk about spirituality and about following Jesus, we make it so abstract that it almost means nothing in real life. I was reminded of this. I was talking to my, um, I was at the dentist a couple months ago. I went to the dental hygienist for my six month you know, uh, checkup and cleaning. And my dentist and my dental hygienist know that I'm the pastor here. And so we usually, usually when we're there, we talk about spiritual stuff. And so I got there and when I got there, my dental hygienist asked me the question that we all hate. You know, you know the question, right? She said, um, how's your flossing been? And I was like, you tell me, you know? And no, I said, uh, no, I said, uh, I was like, man. I was like, gosh. So I, I told her, I was like, Ugh. I said, if I got to grade myself, I said, I'm to give myself a letter grade. I said, I give myself maybe a B the past six months. So I, 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 uh, I buy those flossers. You guys know those flossers? I, I have a pack in my car and I floss. I do floss just about every day. It's just not at the end of the day. They want you to floss at the end of the day and I don't. And so I told her, I was like, I, I think I'd give myself a B. And so she went on um, to lecture me, which is her job and that's right. And so she said, hey, let's go for an A this next semester. And I said, okay. And she, she went on to say, you know, flossing is really important. And I said, I know, I know. And she said, if you wanna have a healthy mouth, you gotta floss. I said, I know. I know, and she said, you know, so many diseases enter through the mouth, and if you floss, it actually, there's actually a statistical correlation between longevity of life and flossing. And I was like, I, I know, you're right, I need, to, I need to floss more. You're right, you're right, you're right. 
And so then anyway, she starts cleaning my teeth. And then as she's cleaning my teeth, she starts having a conversation, which I always think is comical because you can't, you can't say anything meaningful back. And so she's like, how's the church? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and so she, she actually started talking to me and she said, you know, she said, I've actually become a lot more spiritual. She says, I've been, I've been really, um, really getting into Jesus. And I was like, that's awesome. That's really cool. And she said, uh, I've been reading a lot. She said, I've actually been reading my Bible. And I was like, well, that's cool. She's like, I have a whole stack of spiritual books. I got a Bible, I got a yoga book. I got a couple other books and I'll read all of them. I was like, that's fascinating, you know? And so she's cleaning my teeth and she goes, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, sure. And she said, um, she said, do you read your Bible every day? And I said, uh, I said, well, I said, I do. I said, I, I, try, I do. I try to make it a, a pattern to read my Bible every day. And she's like, well, you probably kind of have to because it's like your job and stuff, right? And I was like, yeah. I said, that's true. I said, but honestly, regardless of like job stuff, I, I, this, is, this is what I said to her, so I say to many people. I said, I try to make it so that the first voice that I hear in the morning is not my own and it's not the news networks, but it's Jesus' voice. It's God's voice. So I try to get in his word every day, the beginning of the day. And she goes, man, that's really cool. She's like, I'm glad that works for you. And then she said, for me... She goes, I don't, I don't always feel like reading the Bible every day. And so she, so she said this. She said, so when I feel like it, I'll read it, but other times I won't read it. And she said, because I don't think God would want me to, make, to feel like it's like a checklisty thing. And so she says, so I just kind of think I should read it when I feel like it, and other times I shouldn't read it. She said, what do you think about that? And I was like, oh, man, I just was hoping to get my teeth clean today, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, no. You know, I was like, okay, so let's go there. So I said to her, I said, well... I said, maybe you want to think about it like this. I said, if you want to have a healthy mouth, you got to floss every day. I said, and sometimes you don't feel like it and sometimes you don't want to, but you got to have this pattern in your life that's going to lead to greater health. You got to have that. I said, now let me just say that if you want to, if you want to have a healthy spiritual life, I said, I think, I think you need to let God's words be in you every day. You need to have a pattern in your life that his word can be in you and it can transform you and change. And I said, now here's the thing. If you don't read your Bible every day, that has no bearing on whether or not God loves you or he forgives you. That has nothing to do with it. I said, but if you wanna be healthy spiritually, I said, I don't know if it's possible apart from having these regular healthy patterns in your life that are gonna lead to spiritual health. And I said, otherwise what's gonna happen is if you don't read your Bible, you're gonna be loved by God, you're gonna be forgiven by Jesus, you're gonna have all those things, but you're gonna have bad spiritual breath. I said, so it's, I don't know how far you can extend this metaphor, but I was just, I was just going for it, you know? And, um, and she goes, I never thought of it that way. And I said, yeah. And you know what? I honestly think, I don't know if many of us think of it that way. One of my biggest fears for people in our church, honestly, is that we are people who have a real big heart for Jesus, but that we have real bad spiritual breath because we don't have patterns of abiding in our life that allow us to bear the fruit that God desires. So this series is gonna be very practical. As practical as things like patterns of flossing, right? We're talking about what are things you can do in your life to help abide in Christ. And the second thing you can expect in this series, and I'll ask the band to come up at this point, is this series is going to be very symmetrical. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, um, basically when you look at Jesus's life and you look at the patterns of his life, you will see that there's a rhythm to it. There is a rhythm to it. There's a symmetry to it. And so let's give you a sampling. These are some of the things that we're gonna be talking about in this series. We're gonna be talking about things like solitude and community. There's a, there's a symmetry to it. 
that fasting and feasting, secrecy and confession, simplicity and generosity, praying and acting, private meditation and corporate worship, work and rest. And again, this whole series, this whole series is not about trying to produce more fruit in your life. This series is about patterns of abiding in Christ. How can we continue to abide in him? And so I would encourage you, jump in for this series as we look at these patterns that change us. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you that you didn't just come to give your life, but you also came to show us how to live. If you wanted to come to die for us, you could have been born and died and that could have been the end of it. But you decided to live your life on display for us to see so that we can follow you in your way of life. And so I pray that in the series, God, that you just revolutionize our spiritual lives. Help us, Jesus, to learn how to connect to the vine, how to practice the presence of you, Christ, and allow that presence to flow through us into the lives of other people. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of this series, that we would see real change happen, but not because we're aiming at change, but because we're aiming at the vine that will flow through us and produce change. And so we ask these things, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.